This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Kasten-Smith, and I will be your host today. Joining me is Will Bushman, our Director of Student Ministries. We're here. And we are continuing in the life of Abraham, jumping on chapter 21, where God finally comes through on his promise to provide Abraham and Sarah a son. I mean, decades in the making. Yeah, this is decades in the making. They've been through a lot. This is now, so we're 25 years after God first gives the promise to Abraham in, in Genesis 12. And so when you go through the Psalms and you read those lines like, wait upon the Lord, wait on the Lord, like 25 years of waiting on the Lord before Abraham got to see the promise fulfilled. Yeah, that's like if I got a promise when I was three and it just happened. Like, that's crazy <laughs> to think about. Like, 25 years, we think, ah, oh, whatever. But that's like most of my life. Yeah, uh, the vast majority of yeah, your life. All of it. And more than half of mine, believe it or not. This gray hair, don't let it fool you. There I'm you not go. that old. All right, so we're jumping right in, and it starts with the good news. Like, if you remember in the last chapter, um, we had Abraham and Abimelech, and he fell. We're going to run into Abimelech again in this week's passage, but... We also had the story of Lot running away and his daughters and the incest and all the crazy stuff. And then Abraham and Abimelech, their mess. And we jump in today and God is now going to tell us the good news. Verse one, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And I love how it sets this up. It's all by grace. It's all by the goodness of God. And God keeps his promises to Sarah. Both times, notice it's it's mentioning Sarah, which is, again, cool, because we always think this is the story of Abraham, but yet he's gracious to Sarah, even though she laughed in his face, and he kept his promise to her and to Abraham. Yeah, just funny how, again, it's just Sarah-focused here, though. Mm -hmm. It's a promise to Abraham as well, and Abraham will reap the rewards of having a son from his wife, Sarah. But it's like, no, God is being especially grateful to Sarah in this moment by fulfilling this promise. Mm -hmm. And it's all by his goodness. So verse two, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. So remember he said, by this time next year, you'll have a son. Well, here we are this time next year, and she has a son. Abraham gave him the name Isaac. And this is in Hebrew, you would hear, like, if you go to Israel and you came across somebody with the name Isaac, it's Yitzhak, like there have been Israeli prime ministers, Yitzhak Rabin. Yitzhak is Isaac. And so that's the word behind this, and it means laughter. And so laughter becomes a huge word that you find all over this story where you had, remember, Abraham laughed at God. Then you had Sarah laugh at God, and God's like, why did you laugh at me? I didn't laugh at you. Well, here he says, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Isaac, and they do. And now this goes from being that first laughter where they were like, you have a right, to now it's like, have you ever been so victorious or so happy with a triumph that it just forces you to laugh? It's like triumph to the next level where you're just laughing with joy. Hmm. And that's kind of the the laughter that we're imagining here. It's no longer 
laughter of ridicule. It's laughter of triumph. Like, I cannot believe that God did this. And they gave him the name Isaac and to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, so you know where this is going, God had come to Abraham in chapter 17 and says, you know, everybody who's going to be in your household of faith, everybody who's going to be a member of this covenant is going to be circumcised at eight days old. And after seeing God being faithful, Abraham's like, this covenant means a lot to me. And sure enough, when Isaac turns eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Here's, here's wild, wild, wild. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, which means Sarah's 90. Like, this is just straight up, like, if, if, you're, if you don't believe in the supernatural, you read this story with absolute ridicule. Like, nobody at 90 is having a baby. Yeah, barely alive. Yeah, so what's the point? Why would God give us this story? I mean, again, he's showing that all of this, the child of promise, everything, he's ordaining supernaturally. Like, he's mm-hmm. Abraham can take a good situation and mess it up, so God's like, overstepping them being like no this is going to be the only option you have there's gonna be no way for you to say that it was anything but me giving you this child completely so he's the only one that can get credit but it's also like barrenness is is a cousin of death it's it's the enemy of life and the same you know when a woman is postmenopausal there's no more life that can come forward so in a sense it's standing against life and what god is saying is i am the god who brings life where life is utterly impossible. And he makes it utterly impossible. It's not like we're reading an ancient book where they were too stupid to figure out that 90-year-olds don't have babies. It wants you to recognize this is absurd. This does not happen unless. Like that's the point of the story is we serve a God who brings forth life where life is utterly impossible. If I were to ask most people, you know, if they believe in life after death, they would. They, I think most people still say yes, right? Hopefully. You, you, you just believe that there has to be something beyond this. Your soul goes to inhabit somewhere. And what this is saying is this is the God who conquers the grave. This is the God who paves the way for life hmm. on the other side. That's what it's ultimately leading you to. This is the God who has control over all life. Sarah said, verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Like, it's just, it is laughable, a 90-year-old woman having a baby. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? So there's, there's the next part of the miracle. You're imagining the 90-year-old nursing. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. Yeah, that is a lot to take in. No, no pun intended. But, yeah, I have borne him a son in his old age. And this is just absolute triumph, right? So that's the first seven verses of this chapter. This really great triumph. And you, you kind of expect it to give more ink yeah. to this great triumphant moment. But then it immediately turns to a story that is going to make us uncomfortable again. Because remember, that's what Genesis does. <laughs> like, you can't go more than a chapter or two at a time without going, wait, what happened? What is this yeah, about? Like, this can't be there. Yeah. It, and it feels like what this is what Christians read as their sacred literature. We see Sarah, who has just had this really triumphant moment, who's been shown outrageous grace from God, which is undeserved favor, right? And her response in this is going to be to send Hagar away here shortly. 
And you're like, it, it kind of like a lot of people will read this passage and they will look at Sarah and go, ooh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like her. I don't like Abraham in this. I don't like God, what he does in this passage. But it's actually something that's, that's rather beautiful. So let's jump into this, okay? So Isaac is born, been circumcised. We get to verse 8, says the child grew and was weaned. And so he's reached the age where he's, you know, no longer being nursed by his 91 or two-year-old mom. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And that word again literally is laughter. He's laughing, but it's like with scorn. He's looking at Isaac and the promise, and it's like he's making fun. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Ooh. Yeah. Right? What do you do with that? Do you like do you like Sarah? No. <laughs> yeah, at this moment it feels yeah. like yikes. But if you're Sarah and you trust the promises of God, hang on for a moment to this, because in the background of Sarah's mind. She is remembering that when God promised to bring forth Ishmael in Genesis 16, what was the promise of Ishmael's future? He is going to be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against all of his neighbors, and his neighbor's hands against This is going to be a violent man. This is going to be somebody who's extraordinarily territorial. This is going to be somebody who's against his brothers. That's the direct prophecy of God. And so now it's the first time he... Sarah's been fine for two years, right? There's no pressure to throw Hagar out. You know, they're weaning Isaac, who's just a helpless baby, but who's very clearly threatening to take all of the promise away from Ishmael. That's the very clear implication. Hagar has not schemed yet. Ishmael that we know of has not schemed yet. But then one day, as Ishmael, who at this point is now 15, 16 years old, she sees when they're celebrating Isaac, she looks over and sees that prophecy is starting to come true. Hmm. Ishmael is mocking a two-year-old or a toddler, you know, right at the age where you're being weaned, whatever that is. Hopefully he's not eight. Yeah. <laughs> but but he's, he's much older. And so imagine a 15, 16, 17-year-old deriding, mocking, you know, really ridiculing a toddler. Like, that's concerning, right? Yeah, and you know what kind of man he's going to be Mm -hmm. if you've just watched the promises of God happen right Mm -hmm. before your very eyes. So the promise about who Ishmael will be, I mean, a little terrifying as a mom. Like Completely, What will this soon-to-be man at that stage, and back then he is a man, Mm -hmm. do in order to take what he wants to take? Mm-hmm. And there were ancient laws that existed at this time. Like we, we talked about those in, in some previous episodes. But if you go to like Hammurabi's code, there's actually laws about what the son of a maidservant is entitled to if she remains in the home to the point where the, where the dad dies. But if you grant the slave woman who has born children their freedom, then their child no longer has claim on the inheritance. And so probably, you know, that's Babylonian culture around 15, 1600 BC. Abraham and Sarah are before that, but it's kind of the cultural norm. It's where the law comes from, right? We're in the same 
vicinity of that time period. And so what Sarah is saying when she says this, the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So send her away. Grant her her freedom. That was the cultural norm. So grant her her freedom so that Ishmael has no legal claim on your inheritance or your promises. And one of the things that you've got to keep in mind as as Sarah is thinking about this, it's not just here I have this child that I've been waiting 25 years for, and now I look over and I see Ishmael kind of making threatening gestures and joking and mocking and sneering at him. It's not just, oh my goodness, this is my precious child. We have to remember, for both Abraham and Sarah, the promise is, I'm going to bring about a descendant through you that is going to bless all the nations of the world. So the promise of the Messiah, going all the way back to Genesis 3, where God is going to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the snake to overthrow death itself, all of that is hinging upon Isaac's survival. Hmm. And so it's not just, hey, I've got the weight of protecting my little toddler here that's on Sarah's shoulders or Abraham's shoulders. It's the fate of the world is dependent upon this child remaining safe. And, of course, we know that God is sovereign and God is going to make sure that he's good on his promise. But at the same time, you got to think like, okay, we got we got to contribute here and, yeah. and make sure we're not taking like chances with Isaac's life, you yeah. know, because Ishmael has already been told he's going to be violent. Well, the hope of the world is sitting right in front of us as a toddler. We got to protect him. Hmm. And Abraham hates this, right? Remember, it's it's not long ago that that Abraham is saying to God, like when God comes and says, no, I'm still going to give a son to you, Sarah, and you're going to call him Isaac. And Abraham's like, well, what's wrong with Ishmael? Let's just keep him. He, I, yeah. I'm fine with him receiving the promise. So Abraham loves his son, Ishmael. And here he's being asked, and I pay special attention to what the text is doing here. He's being asked to give up his firstborn son, in a sense, hmm. with Hagar. And that's really grievous to him. He hates it. He's distressed by this idea of sending Ishmael away. But then comes the really surprising part. Like, first off, can you imagine? Like, what do you do? This is another reason why polygamy is a bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) But what do you do? It's messy. What do you do? Like, okay, this son is now getting violent. To my son, I don't want to share a house with that part of the family anymore. Send them away. And by the way, God has already said that's going to happen, that he's going to be violent. What do you do? What do you do in that situation? I don't know. You don't want to answer, do you? No. <laughs> do, you, do, you throw, do you throw out your kid? And your maidservant, your mistress? This is really weird, weird to talk about in the 21st century, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of places to step in it right now. Yeah, this is all cancelable. Yeah, material. Like I don't want to be <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> I don't find myself in this situation hypothetically, but I think you have to get rid of them. Sadly, I mean, I don't like that. Yeah. So the surprising part is Abraham for the first time. Remember how easily he sells everybody else down the river. Yeah, this is. I don't like that he makes a stand here. Yeah, like now all of a sudden you're in this moral dilemma. Like you sold your wife off twice, practically. Yeah, and now you're all of a sudden the stand-up faux husband yeah. to your maidservant. Yeah, now all of a sudden you're going to be the protector, 
and it's the maid servant. And now the flip is in the previous two times, it's God who has to show up to protect Sarah. So you're expecting God to show up and say, Abraham, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't do that. You need to take a stand. But the opposite happens, which should, if you know the character of God, should surprise you to your core because God protects the lowly. In fact, the first time, if you remember going back a couple, a few chapters, the first time the angel of the Lord ever appears to anyone, it's appearing to Hagar when she runs away from Sarah. And it's God who says, no, 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 no. I see you and I'm going to take care of you and I'm not going to let you die. And I'm going to give your son a great nation. I want you to go back home. It's God who's making that case earlier. And so you're expecting God to show up again and say, no, 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 no. This is her home too. But God says, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So God comes and says, you can have a clear conscience. Let the maidservant go. And everything in you wants to say what? What do you think about God saying, yeah, you can send her away? Yeah, it sounds gross again. It sounds gross gross again. If you did not remember that God is in control and utterly sovereign over Hagar's future, like if he were saying, oh, throw her out to the elements and maybe she'll survive, that would be like, oh my gosh, how could God do that? But God knows exactly where she's going to go. He knows exactly how she's going to be cared for. He knows exactly what's in store for her. And so you can't indict God as though he's out of control of her future. Yes, let her go, Abraham. I have a story for her as well. He's going to provide for her. And he says, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. So I've got a story ready to go for Isaac and his future. But what you can't see, Abraham, is let your conscience relax because I've got an incredible story for him too because he's your offspring. And so here, remember, you've got God coming to Abraham saying, I want you to let go of your son. What, what happens in the next chapter? God's going to come to Abraham and say, I want you to sacrifice your son. Mm-hmm. And so in two chapters right in a row, God is coming and saying, I want you to give me your son. I want you to trust me with the life of your son. And with Ishmael, who you know Abraham loves, it had to be gut-wrenching to be able to say, but but, but I, w- I want to make sure that I can take care of him, and I want to make sure that he's in my home, and I want to make sure that I'm the one who provides and protects and everything else. And God says, hey, he's got, a better, he's got a better father who can ordain and be sovereign over all of his stuff. Do you trust me enough to give me your son? And Abraham, ooh, says early the next morning, again, hear the echoes that are going to be coming with Genesis 22, because in that, Abraham, early in the morning, will get together supplies. And in this chapter, it says early the next morning, it says early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders, interesting language, and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wezzered, I can't talk. (laughs) Wezzered. Wezzered. She, I'm thinking desert. Desert and wandered together as wizard, apparently. Anyway, she went on her way and wandered into the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. So she's traveling in the desert. Yeah. She's run out of water. It's game over. 
Real gracious, Abraham. He yeah, loved this one right? when he gave her one skin of water. <laughs> yeah, I guess he could have done a little bit better than Just that. Caravan? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe send some servants. A horse? Anyway, yeah, I never thought about that. This is this is poor planning on Abraham's well, part. Well, he saw distress, and he's like, oh, no, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to give you the good stuff here. Just take the skin of water. Hopefully you make it. Yeah, so anyway, she goes, she makes it as far as Beersheba, which is the very southernmost part of the promised land, right? And it's going to become important in later stories that we'll see. But now she's reached the point where she knows I'm not going to make it. The water's gone. We're going to die. We've traveled too far into the desert to turn around and try to make it back to some place where we can find water or sustenance. So it says in verse 16, it's really like you got to enter into the pain of this moment. She's put the boy Ishmael under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. Like this is meant to be gut wrenching mother, son. You know, this is the one person in life that hasn't sold her out. This is it. And now it seems like God has given permission for you to be cast away. Now your son is going to die. You're out in the middle of the desert and you are utterly without hope for any way where you're going to find life. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God. There it is again. The angel of the Lord comes again to who? To Hagar. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And here it's God who's already promised her this. Like if God made that promise, you know he's not going to die, right? Did he make it? Did she get the promise? She got the promise. Remember, because earlier she's like, "Oh, you're the God who sees. You saw okay. me." And it's after God has given her the promise that He's going to do great things yeah. with Ishmael. And remember that He's going to be a wild donkey of a man and all mm-hmm. that. So she has the promise, and if she believed the word of God, she would have trusted God's not going to let him die. But the circumstances are so overwhelming. You know, it's like women don't have babies at ninety. Don't you know that? Well, people don't survive out in the desert without provision. She's run up against the circumstances, just like Sarah had run up against the circumstances, and she's going, God cannot bring life out of this. This is too much, too far gone. And God shows up and says, no, 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 don't you remember? I'm going to make a great nation out of him. Lift him up. Hmm. I got this. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Ooh, (laughs) you know? Like, just the kindness of God here. And what is he doing again? He's showing you, I am the God who brings life where life seems utterly impossible. This is the God of the resurrection who's beating into the heads of his people that when you come up against the circumstance that seems insurmountable, trust in me. I hold the power of life and death. And if you're resting in my promise you can have life, right? And so what this whole story is doing, and I've never realized this until about six months ago, I was reading the story, 
And, you know, obviously you have Abraham who's being asked to, to sacrifice, in a sense, his son. And we're one chapter before where he's going to be asked to sacrifice Isaac. And early in the morning, and he's getting all the provisions, and, you know, she goes out into the wilderness. And what happens? When she says he is on the verge of death, who is it that shows up? The angel of the Lord who says he's not going to die. Hmm. That foreshadows what's coming in the next chapter where you have Abraham who's being asked to sacrifice the other son. And he goes off on a far distance and carries all the supplies and goes out there and he is about to sacrifice his son. And who shows up? The angel of the Lord. Hmm. And what does he say? Your son is not going to die. And what he's, what he's pointing to is something that's far more beautiful that we'll talk about next week. But this is God who is showing, and it says in, in the book of Hebrews, by the way, that Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. So what is Abraham, what is he drilling into the heads of these people again and again and again and again? I am the God who controls life. Hmm. To where when you get to Genesis 22, finally, Abraham believes him. That's the point of all these stories. It's showing you who God is and what he's powerful over to where even when the circumstances don't make sense, even when death seems inevitable as the result of what you're doing, God forges a path to life. I've just never thought about, obviously, Genesis 20, 22 that we'll look at next week. That seemed like the big moment mm -hmm. in Abraham's life to me, which it is obviously a huge one. But like we'll talk about next week, it seems like I never thought of this and how much love he had for Ishmael. Mm -hmm. Like I never understood that he's so the son of similar. promise. Yeah is someone he's coming to love in this sense. Like he's having that relationship, but with Ishmael, he already had that relationship. Mm -hmm. So really this chapter is the one where it feels like his true firstborn's dying. For Abraham, for yeah. sure. Uh, he's totally protective of Ishmael all over the place. Like when God says, oh, I'm going to give you another son. Abraham's like, no, I like the one I got. You yeah. know, just give the promise to him, you know. This is crushing for Abraham. He loves Ishmael. Ishmael was circumcised, you know. He spent probably years thinking that the promise was hopefully going to be fulfilled through him. Hmm. And now God comes and says, you need to be willing to give him up. And yeah. then the next chapter, you need to be willing to give him up. He's coming and saying to us the most, and the reason why these stories are so appalling to us is your children are your most precious possessions. If you can call them possessions, they're the most precious beings in your life. You know, you, you got your wife, you got your kids. They're so precious to you to be asked to give them away is offensive. You, you know, people get angry at these yeah. chapters where it's like, what kind of God would, and what, what is God saying? And, it, and it's the reality that if you trust me with the things that are most precious to you, I will take care of them. You know, I will bless them with life. And so what happens is God is going to make something far more beautiful out of Ishmael when Abraham says, okay, I trust you with him. And he's going to make something far more beautiful out of Isaac when Abraham says, I trust you with him. And that's the thing that's hard as we think that our plan is going to be better. No, no, no. I'm going to take care of Isaac right here. And I, you know, I'm not going to do what yeah. you say. And I'm going to take care of Ishmael. And if Abraham had done that, God could have never done the beautiful things through the lives of these men than had they gotten to the place where they trusted God more than their own intellect. That's hard. That's faith. That's big faith. <laughs> you know, when you're looking at your circumstances and saying, no, 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 God, that makes no sense. I, I don't like that plan. I'm not doing it. Yeah. 
No, when you submit and surrender and you trust the character of God, even when it doesn't make sense, God always paints a beautiful picture through them. Yeah, I've never thought about the relinquishing of control in Abraham's life that God's constantly coming to him and saying. Because it would seem like, especially Abraham of all people, like with the material blessing he has, he probably has something about him that says, no, I can take care of Hagar Mm -hmm, and Ishmael. I can take care of Sarah and Isaac. I can have all of this under control and time after time after time, God say, no, you don't have any control. Like come to the God who has supernatural control over Mm -hmm. all of this. Like I've showed you time and time again that Ishmael's far better with the story I'm writing for him. Hagar's far better with that story. And by the way, so are Sarah, Mm -hmm. your real wife, Ed, your son, Isaac. Like, let me handle all of this. Mm -hmm. And like you said, he's doing it with like the most precious things you could possibly have with children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, children. We don't, we think of precious things and we don't imagine that they can ever become idols. Yeah. Like, how can your marriage be an idol? Marriage is a great thing, right? Mm -hmm. Your children are wonderful things. How can they possibly be an idol? Well, if you love them more than God, you have displaced love. Like, it's it's out of order, as the early church fathers would talk about. Like, it's only when you love God most that you can adequately and properly love your wife best. It's when you love God most that you will be the best father to your kids. But to do that, in some sense, you've got to put your marriage on the altar and say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you with it. And if it means that it has to be second or that I'm giving it over to you, I'm putting it on the altar. It's yours. Do with it what you want. But I trust in your plan and your design, even when it doesn't make sense to me, even when we're having the big fight, even when it feels like divorce is inevitable, even when my relationship with my kids is, you know, falling through the floor, I'm going to put it on the altar and I'm going to do something that scary as can be. And I'm going to trust you with it. What would you have me do? And it's when you put your idols, good idols, in the hands of God that they're outrageously blessed. Your marriage is always better when you put your marriage in the hands of God and you trust in his design for marriage. Mm -hmm. Your parenting is always better when you put your kids in the hand of God and you trust his design for parenting. Anything, your, your relationship with money is going to be better when you put it in the hands of God and trust his design for your money and generosity. It, It all works like that. And he goes to Abraham with the ultimate ask, give me your kid. Hmm. Whoa. And then do it again. I mean, intense, intense. But, you know, Abraham is going to be this great model of faith. And it very much brags on him for being willing to do that and trusting the God of resurrection to bring forth life to Isaac. He knows the character of God. He knows God's not going to just let Isaac be slaughtered. He's seen God protect the least able, you know, the, the lowly, the left out, the, the weak, the vulnerable. He knows the character of God because he's seen him defend yeah. the lowly again and again when Abraham sold him out, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's who God is. Another thing that's really interesting about this, one of the greatest prophets— Like, if you were listing out the greatest prophets in the history of Israel that were most famous, uh, you you know, Moses would be at the top. Abraham is called a prophet. Uh, He would be up there. But Elijah would have been one of the most famous prophets ever. And Elijah, when you get to his story, he does all these things. Like, the story of Elijah, you know, he goes to the king of Israel. This is going to be a thousand years after Abraham. 
He goes to to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and he says, you know, the wickedness you're doing in the land and and where God's going to bring a drought on the land. And then God takes care of Elijah in all these miraculous, supernatural ways. You know, he's fed by ravens, and, you know, God multiplies the oil and the flour of the widow, and he does all these crazy things. And then God says to Elijah, I want you to go have a contest against all the prophets of Baal and Asherah that your king and queen now worship against me. And so if you know the story, they go to Mount Carmel, and they have a contest. Who will show up to scorch and burn up the sacrifice that they're offering? And of course, Elijah wins. You know the story. Fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. If you don't, it's 1 Kings chapter 18. And after that, Elijah thinks, because all of Israel has shown up to see who's going to win the battle. Is it going to be Yahweh, the God of Elijah, or is it going to be Baal and Asherah, the gods of the, the, the king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel? Well, Yahweh wins. And so Elijah's thinking, finally, the nation's going to turn back. And he goes to the palace, and he hears that Jezebel is saying, I'm still not relenting. I will have that prophet dead by this time tomorrow. Like, hmm. And Elijah is so worn out from a battle that has been three years. You know what he does? And it's really interesting. He, pre- he takes on the role of Hagar. It's in utter defeat. He feels like a failure. And it says that he travels down into the wilderness. This is 1 Kings 19 that he travels down in the wilderness or the desert, and he goes to Beersheba. And it says that he sits down under a broom tree. Well, why? Why does he do that? Because remember, what did Hagar do with Ishmael? She took him in the desert, goes to Beersheba, realizes that she's going to die, and she puts her son under a bush, a tree. And so when Elijah runs away from God in utter despair, feeling like, I can't do this anymore. It's like the battle just never ends. Hmm. He runs to the same spot, and he lays down under a broom tree, and he cries out to God, and he says, I'm no better than my father's. Hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not worthy of the covenant. This feels like a failure. I've put it all on the table. And God, you're not showing up. I feel all alone. And God comes at the same place where he shows up for Hagar and says, I'm with you. I see you. I'm going to take care of you. I've got a future in mind that you can't envision right now. And then what does he do? He he cooks Elijah a meal and lets him sleep because his prophet is worn out. And he shows this incredible tenderness. And he gives him another meal and wakes him up. And in the strength of the Lord takes him south toward a place of rest rather than back north to the battle. But why does, why does God give you the story of Elijah in the exact same way that you find the story of Hagar and Ishmael? Because you see Elijah, he's like, I've been cut off. I'm no better than Ishmael, and you should just let me die. And God showed outrageous mercy and tenderness to Hagar and Ishmael, and he showed that same mercy toward his prophet. And one of the comforts and takeaways of that is, you know— I remember when I hit a season of burnout and I was thinking, you know, in ministry, you got to be firing. You you can't ever have a moment where you're just tired of fighting and you're just done, you know? And I felt like that. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm winning. I don't feel like I'm seeing enough victories. I'm worn out. I can't do any more conflict or dysfunction. And I felt mangled by ministry. And this story was such a comfort to me 
You know, in the same way, like if you're Hagar, it's like, man, everybody has bailed on me. Abraham, Sarah, now it seems even God. And she's running down in the middle of a desert, and that's where God meets her, in the middle of a desert, where there's no one else, no hope of anything else. And it's God who says, I'm here with you, and I'm enough. And I'm going to carry you on my strength. And he makes a great nation out of Ishmael. And the same for Elijah, who's down in the desert, and he's given up, and it's like, I'm done. And God shows up and says, yeah, I see how weak you are, but you're with me. And that's enough. And I've got a plan, and I'll carry you in my own strength. And the desert is always where God meets with his people in really powerful ways. It's when everything else is stripped away, any comfort, any reliance. And I mean, you put that in your own life. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, in the desert, the Judean desert, which is like, there's nothing there. That's where Jesus goes to be tempted by the devil. And God meets him there, Mm. right? Like, that's always the place when everything else is all stripped away, when all the idols are ripped out of your life, that's where God meets you most powerfully. And it's like, you know, the quicker we realize that we're, we're in deserts <laughs> and we're like, God, I can't do this on my own. I really need your presence. I recognize I'm in the desert and there's nothing here that's giving me authentic life, spiritual life. I need you to show up. Hmm. Guess what? He does. He does. He, always when the people cry out, he always shows. And we can take that and be confident of it. Yeah, and the harsh part about that is, from our perspective, it's not that he can use wildernesses, that he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's his pattern. You just see that all throughout. The, we talked about this mm-hmm. a couple months ago. If there were things that we could take out of Scripture, it would be one of those things, that God meets with his people in wildernesses, that mm-hmm. men are created in wildernesses, that leaders are created in wildernesses, like God meets with you and does fruitful things in your life during the wilderness years. Big time. I mean, that, that that's just true. I mean, you think about... Where did you grow most in your love of the Lord? It's probably not in the sweet seasons. No, yeah. It's it's when everything else is falling apart and the only thing you can grab hold of is him. Hmm. And all of a sudden you realize he's enough and he's beautiful and he takes care of you and he's tender and he will not leave you even when everyone else does. Like there is something special about the wildernesses, and I don't want to go there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like very much living in paradise. I, I like being in the gardens, but God grows us in the wilderness. He meets us there. He sees us there. It's really awesome. So, so she sees the well of water. She fills the skin that Abraham had given her. Thanks for the skin, Abraham. The one. <laughs> and gave the boy a drink. And God was, hear this, with the boy as he grew up. All right, so he's watching over Ishmael. Even though Ishmael, we don't get the sense ever really wants much of God yeah. or his his descendants, we don't get that sense. But God is with the boy. He takes care of Abraham's son. It's almost like it's almost like God had made that promise not just to Hagar but to Abraham as well. And so I got this. And he lived in the desert, and he became an archer. So he lives in the desert like, remember the species, the mm-hmm. wild ass, the wild donkey? That's what he does, just like God had prophesied. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. That ends our interactions with Hagar. Um, but God really loves that woman. He paid special attention to her, even though it seemed like no one else did. 
So then we jump in, and this is a, another left turn where Abraham has another interaction with Abimelech, you remember, uh, from last week. This is verse 22. It says, At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham. So they're getting, they're getting the very distinct impression. They see God works special through this guy. <laughs> like, we remember when God came to us and says, if you don't give Sarah back, you're going to die. Like, they know God has a special place in his heart for Abraham, and they fear God. Yeah. And it's funny that these guys are listening and seeing God move. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny, because the other characters don't necessarily see it or trust <laughs> it, but these guys from the outside are like, hey, we see something's going on with you specifically, and not the power, th- it's power through you, not from you. Mm-hmm. And, but isn't that true? Like, yeah. if, if I'm in the middle of crisis, if I'm in the middle of the crucible, I'm the worst person to make judgments on how I should see myself. Because yeah. I'm usually quick to be like, oh, I'm the worst. And, every you know, it, it takes an outside perspective to say, no, like, hold on a minute. There's hope here. You know, some some outside perspective is usually wiser than your own when you're in the middle of the crucible. And that's Abimelech and Fecal. They're looking at this situation, and they're like, man, God loves yeah. you like crazy. You could trust him to do anything. In fact, the whole point of this, where this story is going is he's so faithful to you, we need to hitch our wagons to you because God is so faithful to you. You can trust him with anything. Hmm. So they said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. So swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Now, pause for a moment. He's not done talking. But why does Abimelech need to make Abraham swear that he will never deal with him falsely? Because Abraham has dealt with him falsely. Oh, true. <laughs> Remember? Yeah, the track like, record's pretty poor. So, and what happened? Abimelech nearly got scorched, right? You know, God almost came and said, whoa, you're about to take Sarah. You better back up, bud. Or I'm going to put you to death if you don't give this woman back to her husband. And Abimelech's like, whoa, 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 I did. What did I do wrong? He he was dishonest with me. Yeah. And so now he's coming and saying, look, I don't want to be in a bad position with your God again. So you need to promise that you're not going to deal falsely with me. And you need to do it before your God so that he hears this. And don't deal dishonestly with my children or my descendants either. And he says, show to me and the country where you're living as an alien. Remember, you're, you're a guest in our land, but show me the same kindness that I've shown to you. And Abraham at this moment, I, I swear it before God, like I swear it. So then Abraham one day complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. And so now Abraham has promised that he's going to extend the same kindness to Abimelech that Abimelech has shown to Abraham. And now you get Abimelech's guys who come and seize a well of water. Well, that's not good. And so Abimelech said, I don't know who's done this. You didn't tell me. I heard about it only today. And so Abraham's like, okay, I see where this is going. Like we're, we're going to have tensions and yet we've sworn kindness to one another. So verse 27 comes along and Abraham has an idea. So he brings sheep and cattle, and he gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Remember Genesis 15? When you make a treaty or a covenant in the ancient world, what do you do? Slice up some animals. Yeah, you're slicing up some animals. And so that's like you're starting to say, okay, we're making a new covenant here, and here come the animals again. And Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, which you've set apart by themselves? And he said, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. And you're waiting 
for the cutting part, right? But in the ancient world, and this is just, you know, throwaway trivia, when you made a covenant with someone, you know what the Hebrew word is? Sorry for asking that question. (laughs) It means to cut, though. It does. It's karat, and it literally means to cut. You cut a covenant. And so he brings forth these animals, and it's like, hint, hint, we're about to cut a covenant, and that's the language used here. And he says, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness. We don't even need to kill them. They're a gift to you, right? They don't need to die. I'm giving them to you as a gift, but we are cutting a covenant. So that place was called Beersheba, and Abraham now has some territory in the land. Beersheba literally means, it got that name at this point because it literally means uh, the the seven wells is, is the idea, the well of the oath, the seven wells, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Fecal, the commander of, that sounds too much like Fecal. I think I'm pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, you should just <laughs> We're going to go with Fecal. Fecal. Yeah, not Fecal. Fecal, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord. This is a way of saying worship, and he worshiped the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. And that's the end of chapter 21. So wrap it up for us, Will. It's a great chapter. (laughs) All right, we learned that Will would send his son away. We learned... No, yeah. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. You kind of have to if God says, send your son away. Yeah, you set us up for failure when you read that because I knew what God was going to say in the next verse, and you stopped prematurely. (laughs) You're welcome. Just to set up a poor hypothetical. You're welcome. So, but in this, you see a lot of, of stories that are hearkening back to either previous stories or what God's going to do. So at the beginning of this chapter, you see that God, after 25 years of waiting on a promise, was faithful to Abraham and Sarah and brings forth Isaac. Then you see God coming to Abraham and saying, I want you to be willing to give away your son. And Abraham does, a son whom he loves. Mm. And you learn that God takes care of his, he keeps his promises, and he takes care of the son and makes him into a great nation. A lot of the same promises that he makes to Isaac, except through Isaac comes the redemption of the world. God shows outrageous kindness and compassion and notice to Hagar and Ishmael. And here at the end, You find that when, remember God's earliest promise where he says, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. Well, here you see an example of it. Abimelech comes into a covenant with Abraham, and what happens? He becomes blessed. He finds safety. He's rewarded. And you see that God's word rings true in all of this. So that leaves us coming into the next chapter, which is the chapter that everybody knows most about Abraham. And it's one of the more disturbing. It's where God comes and says, okay, you know that son of promise that you had to wait 25 years for? I want you. And and now remember, he's old enough to where he's been weaned and Abraham's now living in the Philistines for a while. And Isaac is now going to be the age roughly of where Ishmael was when Ishmael got sent away. And now God's going to say, okay, I want you to send your newly teenaged Isaac Go with him and sacrifice him somewhere where I'm going to tell you. Shocking. But what God will do in that chapter and what he will reveal to us in that chapter 
is absolutely amazing, and it reveals God's love not only for Abraham, but God's love for us. And so we look forward to seeing you to discuss that next week as we jump into Genesis 22, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. God bless. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.